Welcome to the Grace for This City podcast. We're helping you turn your cities upside down. Hey, I'm your host, Justin Goff. Stay tuned. We got a great show for you today. All right. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for tuning into the podcast. You know what this is. This is the Grace for the City podcast. And hey, we're giving you scriptural motivations and strategies so you can get out there and get some stuff done for Jesus and turn them cities upside down. Hallelujah. Oh, we thank the Lord for it. He's helping us, friends. And uh, we truly depend on him to lead and to guide us and make this word known in all of its fullness and glory. Hallelujah. Well, hey, it is Christmas season, and uh, this is December the 22nd. We are just a few days away from Christmas, and we want to say from all of our staff and administrations here at Grace for the City podcast, myself, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And we'll be with you again in the new year. It's going to be a tremendous, um, let me see, is there one more podcast before? There is. Hallelujah. We'll be with you before the new year ends. Uh, but we're right, right here, right at the uh, changeover, and it's been a great year. And uh, these last few episodes, uh, we're honored to wrap up this year with you. Thank you so much. Um, hey, if we can be a blessing to you, if we can pray with you, let us know. Uh, it'd be our heart, it'd be our honor to join our hearts together with yours. Believe in God for what he's doing in your life, friends. It's going to be phenomenal. 2023 is going to be phenomenal. All right, let's get into the podcast today. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about, and we'll kind of navigate through these scriptures, but I want to talk about uh, what the Bible kind of begins to uh, relay or communicate about false teachers, false prophets, testing the spirits, false apostles, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the Bible is quite full of this thought, this theme of navigating, um, you know, the rise of lowercase antichrist spirit. So that's anything antichrist. You know, in 1 John there, he says this, 1 John 2, 18, he says, little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the antichrist, capital A antichrist is coming. He hasn't come yet. He is coming. Even now, many lowercase antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour or it's eschatos. Uh, these are the last things. And, uh, of course, eschatology is the study of end times or the last things. And uh, the Bible is a book of futures. It contains futures, the knowledge of judgments and futures concerning three groups of people. You can find this in the book of First Corinthians where he says, give no offense to the Jews, the nations, or the church. Those are the three groups of people as God sees them. And the Bible yeah, all the Bible is for the church, but not all of the Bible is about the church. And so, of course, we're admonished to rightly divide the scriptures. If it can be rightly divided, then it can be wrongly divided. And you wonder, if you ask yourself, why are there 500 different views, perspectives, denominations, groups, organizations, theologies, etc.? Well, it's due to a wrongly divided scripture. And, uh, this is what he's talking about here in the book of First John. Of course, we know he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And he says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Every spirit that does not is not of God. And we're warned over and over and over and over and over again about dealing with uh, that which is false, the false prophets, false teachers, etc. In Second uh, Peter chapter 1, he says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming or parousia of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he talks about in chapter 2, he says, But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies even denying, ultimately denying, the Lord who brought them. And he goes, goes on to say that this destructive um, infiltration is because 
of covetousness. That's what uh, Peter alludes to here. And then in Jude, we find out in Jude, let me get there. Remember this in the book of Jude? He says this, certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And then, of course, Jesus in John 10, I'm just laying a foundation here and we'll jump off of this. In John 10, Jesus says this, most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in the sheepfold uh, some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. Notice what he's saying there is that uh, false doctrine or false teaching creeps in secretly, and it never enters in the sheepfold through the front door. The front door is the word, friends, but it climbs up some other way. It comes in some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. And then in John 10, 7, and also in John 10, 9, Jesus says, I am the door. Listen, the word is our anchor. The word is our protection. The word is an arbiter against false whatevers. And so we need to um, put our confidence that everything can be answered by the word. Hallelujah. And uh, let's go here real quick. Let's go to Revelation chapter 2. Let me show you this. Revelation chapter 2. And we'll navigate here. Oh, thank you, Lord. He's helping us. All right, Revelation chapter 2, look at verse 2. And I'm going to read this from a translation called the Expanded Bible. And he says this. He says, I know what you do. I know your works, how, how you work hard, and you never give up. You persevere and you endure. He says, I know that you do not put up with the false teachings of evil people, evildoers, or evil. You have tested those who say they are apostles but really are not, and you found that they are liars. Now, this is a powerful verse here. Um, let me read it to you from like the New King James. It says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. Now, in Rick Renner's book, Testing the Supernatural, here's what he says about this passage. He says, it became clear that the church at Ephesus was the primary spiritual leader in Asia. The church also attracted a wide range of so-called God-sent people who attempted to gain notoriety by trying out their new doctrines and revelations in Ephesus. If one could, quote, make it in Ephesus and receive that church's endorsement, the door was then open for them to all of Asia. As a result, false apostles were constantly descending on the city. However, the Ephesians' leadership and congregation had no tolerance for those people who tried to infiltrate the church with hidden and selfish motives. The Ephesian believers understood their church's pivotal role in the entire region. They understood that whatever they endorsed would be carried into all the other churches. Therefore, they didn't quickly assume responsibility for newcomers. Instead, Revelation 2, 2, and 3 implies that the church actually set up a system whereby they could test new arrivals to see if they were really what they claimed to be. The Ephesians' leadership loved their church so much that they had no tolerance for anyone who twisted the word to create a new popular doctrine, nor did they have any stomach for those who selfishly wished to use the Ephesians' church for their own self-advantage. Now let's go up here to uh, Romans chapter 6. Romans 6. And in Romans 6 verse 17 it says this, but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Um, the expanded Bible says that you obeyed from the heart the example, pattern, and way of teaching that you were taught. Now, something I find very interesting today 
is a lot of pushback on the concept of doctrine. And uh, there are particular groups that have a very uh, negative perspective over the use of that concept, um, in particularly, you know, maybe the word, but the concept. All right, now we don't want to just argue over translated words necessarily, although it happens, but the concept of what doctrine is, what the Bible is referring to when it says that the use of doctrine, and here he obeyed from the heart the doctrine that he received. Well, we would understand that as the revealed word of God, and something was moved on the inside of him. Something was drawing him on the inside. It was revealing Christ to him. Again, lots of interesting interpretations, though, associated with the use of the word doctrine. And uh, let me share with you a particular thought that I found of interest. And, um, you know, there's this um, uh, approach to the Bible that makes the Bible uh, what they call progressive, like this truth is progressive. People are even saying that, that the Bible is progressive in nature, that truth is multidimensional and progressive in nature nature. Well, let me pause right there and say, you know, that's kind of the problem that we're having right now. Uh, if you have a very conservative uh, perspective on, let's say, the Constitution of the United States, and you understand that there are strategies against our uh, uh, constitutional republic, and the argument that is used against the kind of a literal and definitive interpretation of the, of the Constitution is that, well, the Constitution is living, and therefore it is changing. Another way of saying that is that, well, this may have been a truth at one time, but we have progressed, and now this truth has taken on another dimension. Well, um, you know, one of the, you know, it doesn't take a rocket science to recognize that one of the main uh, enemies against what the United States has established would be something like cultural Marxism. And Marxism would inject chaotic ideas that are designed to confront traditionally held values, such as marriage between one man and one woman. Well, a society's bedrock is founded, in particular ours and our Constitution, is founded on a bedrock of solid biblical concept and ideas. And uh, anything to anything that would seek to try and tear the house down, say, has to be aimed at crippling or handicapping or assaulting those bedrock foundational values. And so, like Marxism, say, would inject, intentionally inject chaotic elements that seek to disrupt the 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 core value system of a particular nation and when you think of like cultural marxism or western or neo marxism it's a marxism that is designed specifically to uh, oppose western ideas and so if we if we look at that maybe some people haven't considered the um similarities here but if but if you take that and then you say well all these arguments against the Bible, that truth is progressive, meaning it may have been truth in one time, but that truth is no longer relevant for today. There's a new truth that's relevant for today. Well, can you see how that upsets the foundational bedrock principles that the Bible has delivered to us? Now, the Bible is really looking at a seven-day or 7,000-year period. And, you know, if you think about the principles and the prophetic futures that are revealed here, it's not that difficult. Maybe some people are getting bored with these foundational principles. Even the United States, you know, we're what, 200-something years old? Like, are we already bored with these foundational principles that have already proven to create a thriving society? I wonder sometimes why there's so much animosity to these truths being interpreted the way we are interpreting them. Same with the Bible. And so, you know, every so often we get these ideas that say, you know what, I, I think the Bible, you know, may not be literal and archaic and we have progressed, our, you, know, uh, you know, we're further along now. And so maybe that's really not what that meant. All right. 
I think you're familiar with that uh, argument there. But this is what's happening. And in particular, against the idea of doctrines. All right, let me uh, go on here because this is a very pervasive thought that if you haven't already faced, you will face. And maybe you've already struggled. Maybe you've already kind of uh, taken the bait. Maybe you've already been seduced into believing that God's worth, uh, God's truth is, is progressive. They call it liberal theology, that God's word is progressive, is that it may have been a truth here, but now that truth has taken on a different dimension. Listen, the Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, I agree there may be some room for mythology that is uh, different uh, due to, you know, other means, but the truth is the same. I mean, when he said marriage is between one man and one woman, that truth is not progressive just because cultures change, just because people's acceptance and or tolerance to certain things is adjusted. It doesn't adjust the truth of that. All right. Now, there's a big, uh, there's always been, but there's, there's an attack in our generation, again, against the authority of the word as it is plainly written. And this is what I'm talking about today. And they'll say that the word of God is living and active. Uh, this is what they're saying about the Constitution, that it's living, it's progressive. Uh, they'll say concerning these truths that religious people love to try and reduce the living word of God down to a, quote, doctrine so that they can rationalize it, try and understand it and or explain it with a carnal mind. It, he, he's saying, this particular person, cannot be controlled or contained. Those who try end up either persecuting those who expand with it and or separating away from them into doctrinal camps or denominational echo chambers, just as Paul said to his spiritual son, and this is what he quotes here, 2 Timothy 4, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside the myth, the 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4. Now I'm just picking up some of this phraseology that I've been seeing that has been attacking doctrinal truths. Now this particular person uses 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4, as an argument for this living, progressive, expanding truth, but at the same time uses the verse where the Apostle Paul draws Timothy back to bedrock foundational doctrinal truths that become foundations, unchanging, unshakable foundations. That which is built upon a foundation doesn't progress in the sense of um, having a different intention other than what the foundation foundation provided for. Um, progressive truth in terms of living and expanding the way they're explaining it is the same argument being used against the Constitution now. It's the same argument in this progressive line of thinking. It's why we have people fighting to murder babies. It's why we have people fighting to have sexual relations with anything that moves or breathes. Um, it, it is a gross perversion and they're using similar arguments like this to uh, uh, break down or to erode these bedrock foundations upon which the society, the society was established upon. Now, here's this idea here that's being added into this thought. This is why it's so important to gather around spiritual fathers and not doctrines. One builds denominations, saying, Doctrines build denominations that divide the body of Christ. The other creates movements, referring to fathers or apostles, that fully equip, unite, and transform regions. Now, this is the pervasive thing that you and I are facing right now. It is the argument of progressive truth. Now, I believe that our understanding is progressive in this sense, is that here was a truth delivered to us. Our understanding of it um, may come progressively in, in this sense that I, I read the word and I may not fully, un, I may not fully un, understand it, but I read the word and I get a truth and I read it again and I understand more. As I begin to see the whole counsel, I see even a better picture. But to say that one truth is limited 
in the sense that, well, because X amount of time from now, it's going to be a different truth, is to me a false teaching. It is a chaotic element. We can easily get to that conclusion uh, when you look at, in particularly, like I said, how like Marxism, communism, how that strategy has prevailed in different parts of our history, and even the attack against our own nation in recent time, how how that thought of progressive truth can creep in and, and bring a lot of confusion and chaos. And what it does is it's designed specifically to target a bedrock truth or a foundational value in order to cause a shaking to that established society, whatever is built upon that foundation. This is a very dangerous but very pervasive line of thinking that I'm addressing here. And we're warned about this in the Bible. Again, some of these proponents to this progressive truth or multi-dimensional truth or that truth is limited to particular stages or ages or whatever, uh, this particular person here, you know, this uh, camp or group that he flows in, you know, they also believe that the Apostle Paul say that he had truth that was uh, limited. And there are teachers, in particular apostles and prophets that are alive today, that have truth They have truth that is for today. And you can't get the truth from the scriptures because what you were raised thinking has progressed into another thing. And the modern day apostles and prophets have the revelation of what this modern thing is. I take a lot of issue with that. Uh, Most people take issues with that. The Bible is not complicated in this sense. It is multifaceted but it's not complicated. It is a harmony of scripture and the Bible is written to be taken literally. There's metaphor, but the metaphor always speaks to a literal truth. When you look at the Bible as it's allegorical, well, no wonder you get to the conclusion um, that is based upon the reader's interpretation. No, we have Holy Spirit. And what is he doing? He's revealing the word to us. Jesus Jude says this, there was something that was once delivered to you. Now that package, some people don't know what to do with that. And in one sense, our understanding of that which we have received is progressive. We know more today. Um, Light gives way to more light, right? Uh, And if we're faithful with the light we have, more will be given to us. Jesus talked about that in Mark 4. He said, be careful how you hear. Because how you are hearing, how you're receiving, how you're interpreting this either lends to more or it'll lend to things being taken from you. And, uh, uh, but it's not, the Bible should not be looked at as it's completely incapable of being understood. And all this confusion that's being injected through false teaching, false prophets, false apostles, false whatever, um, what it's doing is in some people's minds, they're concluding, well, my, you know, if there's 50 different denominations, well, then the Bible must not be able to be understood. No, 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 that is not true. That is a a strategy of the enemy right there, friends. Listen, to keep your, uh, in particularly dealing with the prophetic futures in the Bible, this is where a lot of the arguments are, to keep your end time doctrine straight. You have to understand there's three groups of people, the Jews, the nations, and the church. And if you misapply prophetic passages to the wrong people, you're going to get all confused. Hallelujah. And so uh, the Holy Spirit is helping us, but the Bible is helping us. There is enough in the Bible for us to get the picture of our uh, Savior and of our Lord Jesus. And the Bible gives us a seven-day period. There are things that are alluded to in the Bible that uh, after the seventh day, the end of the millennial reign, Uh, that's the eighth day, it's the beginning of the new or the next, that um, the Bible alludes to some things about that time. But the Bible isn't all about that time in this sense because it's giving us the plan that we need, the wisdom and the counsel we need to navigate the close of the six-day week and the entrance into the seventh day or the millennial reign of Christ where he comes and he sets things right. Hallelujah. So the Bible gives us everything we need to understand that right there. People are complicating this because they misapply the revealed futures to the three groups of people that are mentioned 
in the Bible. Again, all the Bible is for the church. And I'm talking about the born again believer, the ecclesia. All the Bible is for us, but not all of the Bible is about us. (laughs) Hallelujah. It's giving us information and revelation concerning what our future judgment, what our future is. You know, is is the church destined, doomed uh, for wrath? The Bible says, no, the church, the born-again believer, is not subject to wrath or Jacob's trouble. What about the nations? The Bible tells us the future of the nations. What about the Jews? You know, if you read Zechariah, it's a prophetic passage concerning God's dealing with the nations and the Jews. And uh, if you misapply those prophetic passages, and particularly if you replace or supersede the Jews and you overwrite or read into prophetic passages dealing with the nations, you put the church there, you're going to be off. Or if you lay on top of prophetic passages talking about Israel, Jacob, and the Jews, and you put the church there, you're going to be off. No wonder people are absolutely and wildly confused about provisions. Zechariah talks about it, Isaiah. Several, several prophetic passages talk about what's going to happen during the millennial reign. But then you have people who misapplied uh, the prophetic passages concerning the nations and the Jews and who's going to be doing what, and they think that the millennial reign is now. No, it's not now, but you misapplied or you misappropriated the passages concerning the Jews, and you put yourself there, and you, uh, these people, uh, when you do, do, do that, you shifted the timeline where now it's off. And so there are ministries and ministers who are talking about things concerning the millennial reign when it hasn't even come yet. Hallelujah. We're, the, the body's kind of got ahead of the head here. Listen, the head always goes first. We're waiting for the head to establish these things. Then the body has access to it. Hallelujah. And uh, we don't have access to the millennial provisions yet until Jesus Christ himself comes, put it, puts his foot down, on the Mount of Olives, hallelujah, subdues the kingdoms, come on, and then we enter into a thousand-year period of peace. With the Jews, come on, Israel, being restored as the kingdom on the earth, hallelujah, but that's not for us. Galatians says, heaven, the new Jerusalem, is the mother of us. Who is he referring to? The born-again believer, hallelujah. Listen, when you uh, take the Bible as allegorical and progressive, No wonder people get all their theology messed up, mixed up, mashed up. They get this part and apply it here, and then they take this part and put it off over there. Wow, that is a a mess. That is a confusion. We have uh, this to be a foundation. Jesus said, you know, in Corinthians there, the Spirit revealed to us, be careful how you build because there is no other foundation other than Christ revealed. Hallelujah. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard of this guy, uh, William Brannan. And uh, William Brannan and John Alexander Dowie were very interesting men. Both had tremendously powerful ministries. John Alexander Dowie, if if you're familiar with him, he actually started a city in Pennsylvania called Zion City. And uh, just tremendous things. I mean, he had a powerful healing ministry. Signs, demonstrations, I mean, healings, amazing healings. Even in William Brannan's uh, ministry, amazing healings took place, and he was an, just an, uh, tremendous prophet used in word of knowledge, word of wisdom, the, the prophetic gifts, just tremendously used. Well, both of these men got off, got way off. Uh, and here's what's very interesting about John Alexander Dowie. Uh, there was a particular meeting that was held. There were six pastors there. And I don't know, a handful or more of doctors present. And there was a woman that had this massive cancerous tumor growing on the outside of her face. And uh, this was during a part, it was towards the latter part of John Alexander Dowie's ministry. And he got off claiming that he was Elijah, a modern day in the flesh, like a reincarnate Elijah. And uh, this meeting with these pastors and these doctors happened kind of towards the end of his ministry where he was already starting to dibble-dabble in some of this false doctrine. And uh, anyways, there was a man there by the name of P.C. Nelson. He was one of the six pastors that was present. Well, they all watched, these doctors watched 
as John Alexander Dowie reached up and in the name of Jesus, reached up, grabbed that cancerous growth on the side of that woman's face, and in the name of Jesus, ripped that thing off, and she was instantly healed. The doctors rushed in, and they began to examine this woman, and they found that the, the, the skin where that tumor was was brand new skin like that of baby skin. And these pastors and these doctors were sitting there, and they were, they, they were all excited. They were mesmerized you know, by this, this supernatural demonstration. And one of the pastors there, he exclaimed this. He says, now you can't tell me that you, that you couldn't follow the faith of a man like that. Well, P.C. Nelson was there, and P.C. Nelson responded to this guy, and he says, you might be able to follow his faith, but you can't follow his doctrine. Listen, the guy had tremendous faith in the power uh, and the authority of the name of Jesus, but at the same time was claiming that he was Elijah. There were still miracles. There were still demonstrations. And listen, this is what's happening today. There are those that are doing things in the name of Jesus, but Jesus is saying, I don't know you. Now, what I'm uh, adding into this conversation is that while it is amazing and tremendous that these demonstrations are happening, and that woman, I'm sure she was so thankful, she was healed. I mean, this massive cancerous growth on the side of her face. I mean, she was probably, whoa, and gave praise and glory to Jesus. But at the same time, the minister that was used was off in his doctrine. Uh, William Brandon also claimed that he was Elijah. And he got off. How in the world do these men get off? Well, I want to read a little bit about this here. In William Brand, well, in both situations, and these are not isolated cases. I'm just using these because these men were quite famous. They were quite known for their spectacular ministries. But um, William Brandon got way out there. Uh, well, one reason is he didn't divide the scriptures properly. You know, the Bible tells us to study to show ourselves approved, a workman that's not ashamed, uh, able to rightly divide. If a scripture can be rightly divided, it can be wrongly divided. And we also know from Timothy that doctrine is important. Uh, doctrine is able to do what? What does he say? All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And is able to do what? It's able to do what? It's, it's able to correct. It's able to refute false doctrine. It's, it's able to instruct in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Notice all scripture is profitable for doctrine. Now, if you look at that passage in context, you go back up to like to verse 13. He says, evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And then you go down to verse 16, and the Spirit's saying, this is why doctrine is important. Why? Because deceivers will increase. Evil men and seducers, you look at chapter 3 there, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and you look up a little further, and we find that there are people, they have a form of godliness but deny it, its power, and they creep in on gullible people. That's, that's what it says, gullible people. Well, if you don't know how to rightly divide the Scriptures, you kind of leave yourself up for being taken advantage of, especially with cunningly devised fables, um, strategies, teachings, uh, concepts that are uh, designed to attack bedrock foundations. But, it, but, it, but if you're not able to sift through these or test the spirit or recognize or know the difference between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error, that's how these false teachings and false doctrines creep in secretly over time and subvert. Uh, verse 13, 2 Timothy 3.13, evil men and imposters will grow worse. They'll continue to deceive and be deceived themselves. Verse 14, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood, watch this, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. Again, he is drawing our attention that we have a bedrock foundation. The scriptures provide a bedrock foundation 
They provide the basis for doctrine, which is able to protect us and keep us safe. I find it so interesting. Um, I find it uh, alarming uh, and concerning, though, that there is such an argument against doctrine. Now, I understand that uh, there are divisions, and it's, it's, it's sad it's maybe unnecessary, but at the same time, doctrines are not all bad. Like, you, you can't take this general statement and say, we don't need doctrine, we need spiritual fathers. All right, all right so let me address why that is so, because of William Brannan's situation here. William Brannan. Um, for one, he didn't know how to divide the scriptures properly, and he started teaching passages that were clearly concerning end-time places like the millennial reign, and was saying that the millennial is now, and that he and others were incarnate, and becoming immortal. Now, there's lots of spinoffs of teachings from William Brannan. His movement was called the New Latter Rain. There was a Latter Rain movement back in 1947, 1948. If you read all the spinoffs concerning that, that's where we get the current teaching of the manifest sons of God. But the Lord sent at least a few people to William Brannan to try and correct him in his theology. Kenneth e. Hagen was one of many uh, who had received a prophetic word from the Lord concerning William Brannan, let me read to you the prophetic word. At the end of 65, he who now stands in the forefront of the healing ministry as a prophet will be taken out of the way. He'll make a false step, and Satan shall destroy his life, but his spirit will be saved. Ere 66 shall come, he shall be gone. Gordon Lindsay, who is actually uh, closely, um, was a close friend, uh, at least a close acquaintance, with William Brannan, he related an experience that he had with the prophet Brannan. Brother Lindsay said, I told him, you're not a teacher, so don't try to teach. He was a preacher and a good one at that, and he had marvelous manifestations of the Holy Spirit in his ministry. Brother Gordon Lindsay said, I begged him not to teach. I said, you don't know the Bible, and you're confusing folks. Leave the Bible teaching to the teachers. Just go ahead and preach and exercise the word of knowledge and gifts of healings as the Spirit wills and be a blessing to the body of Christ. In response to Gordon Lindsay, William Brannan said this, I know I'm not a teacher, but I want to teach, and I'm going to teach. Goodness. Frida Lindsay, in a book that she called My Diary Secrets, which was released in 1976, she recounts this story. One day, Kenneth Hagin came into our offices. He handed Gordon a piece of paper on which was written a prophecy he said the Lord had given him. The prophecy stated that the leader of the healing movement was soon to be taken in death because he was getting into, uh, getting into error. After Brother Hagin left, Frida asked Gordon, What do you think about this? Is this William Brannan? Gordon answered, Yes, it is Brannan. He's getting into error. He thinks he is Elijah. He thinks he is the messenger of the covenant. Two years later, William Brannan, who had just moved from his home in Jefferson, in, in, uh, Indiana, was driving to Tucson, Arizona, his new ministry base. In West Texas, he had a head-on collision with a drunken driver and was taken to the hospital. Um, his head became terribly swollen. A, a tube was placed in his throat to assist his breathing. But on Christmas Eve, 1965, he departed this world, even as the prophecy had stated, a tremendous ministry had veered off course. A couple of things that I want to note is that God didn't kill him, but the error that he got off into opened a door to the devil that allowed his life to be taken. Again, some things about William Brennan that we need to be aware of, and I bring this up because I think this is, this is a rehash, like there's nothing new under the sun, right? William Brannan believed that the fivefold office of prophet in particular had superiority to the other offices. Listen, there, there's a rehash of this movement going on right now. It's called the Apostles and Prophets Movement. I mean, maybe they're known by other things. But one of the dangers that's concerning is the elevation of their authority over all other offices or over anything or anybody in general. William Brannan had this same paradigm. He entertained the concept that his words had such significant authority and weight that they were to be considered equal to Bible doctrine. 
We're saying, how do men get off into error like that? Well, this is one way. When you think that your understanding or your revelations or whatever spirit is communicating to you, you know, William Brandon talked about an angel that would tell him things, um, you know, we don't know. Did he not know how to test the spirits? I don't know. Were there other beings, other spiritual encounters that he had that was giving him revelation, insight, and understanding? I, I, I don't know. But at some point, he began to think that whatever he was saying by inspiration was equal to or greater than traditional Bible authority. What is that? That's called a pro- progressive truth. Truth is progressive, or the Bible is multidimensional, or doctrines are limiting and divisive, but he's an apostolic father, and because he's apostolic, because he's, you know, a prophet, God's speaking to him modern day or present day truths. Listen, friends, this is a very slippery slope here. Followers, or excuse me, he entertained the concept that his words had such significant authority and weight that they were to be considered equal to Bible doctrine. Brandon himself called this the spoken word of God. Now, you can go and research Brandon, his story has been thoroughly documented, and he started producing pamphlets or writings or whatever, and he would title them that, The Spoken Word of God. Well, what was this spoken word of God? Well, it was to be understood as new or present-day, current, revelational truth that the body of Christ was to follow after. And he began to consider himself equal to somebody that was used to deliver um, significant Bible doctrine. The problem with that is followers of this type of teaching, or, or you know, if you study any of these gurus or um, cult leaders or whatever, followers of these type of teachings are trained to believe that the voices of these leaders are capable of the literal creation of new scripture. Therefore, extra biblical teachings become biblical simply due to the authority of the speaker who's making the statement. Again, uh, William Brannan was influential in what was known as the new latter rain, um, but there was the latter rain movement, 1947, 48, several years right there. Tremendous things happened, miracles, demonstrations, signs, wonders. But if you trace the theology of latter rain movement, it, it, got, it got way out there. It got way off. Well, third wave or final restoration all these various uh, semi-related, but the, the, the framework of thinking, uh, these affiliations find a lot of their roots with Brannon's revelations. Again, this is why we go back to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, because Scripture is profitable for what? Being the arbiter between what is true and what is false. I mean, here's this guy. God's using him. It's obvious. Gifts and callings are without repentance in that sense. Uh, you know the Bible story about those who said, but Lord, Lord, we did all these things in your name. And Jesus said, I didn't know you. Now, I don't, I don't understand all the nuances of how that particularly works. Uh, I mean, I've witnessed this, you know, on several occasions here where there, the gift works for a time at least. But like in William Brandon's case, if you persist in error, you're going to open up the door to the enemy and it, it could be the cause of the loss of your life. Um, but doctrine, you know, these new teachings that come, these new ideas that come, even if there's a lot of energy, if there's a lot of excitement, even if it's passionate, even if it seems like there is dedication, there's conviction, it doesn't mean that it is true doctrine. I, I, I think that William Brannan, John Alexander, Andrew Dowie, is proof positive that there can be a spiritual demonstration and they can even love God, but their doctrine be off. Doctrine is important. Now, I want to push back a little bit because of, I mean, this is such a fine line here of touting apostles, modern-day apostles and modern-day prophets as the ones that we should gather around to be the arbiter of Scripture. No, 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 no. We need to gather around the Word. <laughs> Hello. I mean, how many thousands, tens of thousands of people gathered around the prophet Brannon, and people were hearing things going, wait a second, man, I can't find that in the Bible. Like, the, like there's no harmony of that concept here. 
Like he's saying things, but whoa, I don't know if that makes sense. But we have elevated the voice of the prophet above that of the scriptures. The scripture no longer becomes the absolute authority and the discerner of the intent of spirit and soul. And uh, we've elevated these voices. Friends, this is nothing new. This is nothing new. In fact, the the very fact that there's even an argument over the place that the word has in our life, to me, is such a glaring, obvious truth that something is amiss here, that we're even arguing that is the Bible relevant or is it progressive or is it not? I mean, it says what it says. If you can't force fit this new revelation you have, maybe the new revelation you have isn't supposed to fit. Hallelujah. But then again, that's the seduction that we're facing because they're saying, well, I, yeah, sure, it doesn't fit, So, but the Bible is no longer relevant for today. You see this pervasive thinking. Where does it end? Where does it, st- where does it stop? I don't know if it will stop, but you and I are navigating it. 1 John 5, 7, and 8 says, There are three witnesses in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Spirit, and these three are one. And there are three witnesses on the earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree. They're in unison. Their testimony coincides. Nothing the Word says will contradict the Spirit. Nothing the Spirit says will contradict the Word. Again, false doctrine and teachings, they creep in secretly. They don't come in through the front door of Jesus. They, don't come, they can't come through the front door of the Word. They have to creep in some other way, and that's the seductive nature of these types of things. Listen, Hebrews 4.12 says this, For God's Word is alive and working, powerful, effective, and sharper than a double-edged sword. It cuts all the way into us where the soul and the Spirit are joined to the center of our joints and bones, penetrating until it divides even the soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it judges and discerns the thoughts, the ideas, the feelings, the attitudes, and the intentions of our heart. Listen, we have Holy Ghost, and he's revealing the word to us. But as long as we have this body of mortality, this body of flesh, we've got to have this word as an anchor to the soul because our soul is having to differentiate or parse between the insight from the flesh or the insight from the spirit. And the word has that agency that is able to help us to recognize that which is spirit, that which is of the spirit, that which is the spirit of truth, and that which is the spirit of error. Listen, we stay with the word, my friends. We stay with the word. Stay with the word. We use the word, and we stay with the word. Hallelujah, somebody. Uh, Let me see here. Let me get this other set of notes right up here. Now let's go to Second Peter. Whoop, I, I started something here. There we go. Let's go to Second Peter. And Second Peter chapter one. Now it says verse sixteen. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, verse 19, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises. In your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. Verse 21, for no prophecy, uh, excuse me, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to touch on this in the last couple minutes that we have here of, of the podcast because there are a lot of confusing um, ideas concerning in things. And I want to give you this because it's very simple. It's very plain. Here Peter is writing, and he's saying in verse 16 through 19. Now, you have to understand that they had just witnessed the transfiguration where Elijah and Moses appeared with Jesus. And this is what Peter is referring to. He's saying that that event, the transfiguration, he says it confirmed the prophetic word, the Greek word that is used here is, is the propheticos. Propheticos is referring to the writings of the prophets. We're talking about what you and I know as the Old Testament. And he's saying that 
this transfiguration where he saw Elijah and Moses, he's saying that right there. He said that the writings of the prophets is a sure witness. There was something about that event that took place with, with Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. Peter comes out of that moment, and he says, wow, what the prophets foretold is sure. It is a confirmed word. And this is what he says. He says, you will do good to heed that and to keep that. Why? Because it will be a light that shines in a dark place. He said, you can trust the propheticos. You can trust the light that is shining in the writings of the prophets concerning Jesus end time events, come on, the millennial reign, what's happening with the nations, the Jews, et cetera. There's some of that uh, information in the New Testament. But Peter's saying that is a confirmed, sure word. And he says it, that light, if you ever wind up in a dark place or you're not sure uh, what's going to happen, he says, look back to the light that's in the writings of the prophets, the propheticos. Okay? He says, in your heart, know this, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. Now, he's setting the stage because in chapter 2, he begins to write to them, false prophets, false teachers. There will be, quote, sent ones, false apostles that have revelations or new doctrines concerning the parousia. He said, listen, there will be cunningly devised fables concerning his coming, the, the parousia, his coming, his coming again. And he's saying, if you're going to navigate this, I'm giving you counsel here that if you're going to navigate these false teachers, false apostles, false prophets, all these doctrines that uh, come up, I, I mean, they sound good, they feel good, they're uh, maybe exciting, but he said, if you're going to navigate them and you're going to know what the truth is, he said, there's a light. Where's that light? It's in the Word. Now, we have even more light now that we have the New, the New Testament, but he said, there's a light. There is a light. Chapter 2, verse 1. But he said, false prophets will come. Who will what? Secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them. And many will follow their destructive ways, these destructive heresies, these false teachings, of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. Verse 10, he says, those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority, they are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. I mean, dude, he gives us this list of what's going to happen to these false teachers. It's not a good thing, friends. Like, to bring confusion uh, to the body of Christ is, is not handled uh, with kid gloves, friends. You don't want to get on that side. You don't want to get on that side of the Lord. And he says, they have a heart trained in covetousness practice. They are accursed children. Wow. You don't want to be added into this group here. He said, they've forsaken the right way of gone astray, following the way of Balaam. Uh, they love the wages of unrighteousness. Uh, it says that they had an eye for the ladies in verse 14. That's, that's obviously not every false teacher, um, you know, praise on women, but you know, that's obviously included at some point. Now let's go over here to, um, uh, well, verse 18, for when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error, they promise liberty, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. Notice what it says. They speak great swelling words of emptiness. You know, it's like William Brandon. I mean, what, what happens to a person when you suddenly assume such a high position and authority in people's lives? Uh, there was this prophetess, Gwen Shaw. She had this prophetic word once. She said, some people have a vision for revival, but they actually have a vision for prestige, fame, and control over men's souls. I'm telling you, that is a uh, dangerous place to be. All right, now, let's go over here to... Um, Chapter 3, he says, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken by the holy prophets, the propheticos. 
Now, listen, any modern-day prophet who reads himself into this passage is is a telltale sign. Either they're ignorantly, um, uh, uh, just grossly ignorant of how to properly divide the Scriptures, um, or they have an agenda, friends. Listen, Peter is saying that in chapter 1, he said, I'm fixing to depart, okay? He said, I'm fixing to put off this tent, and I'm going to go be with the Lord. But he says, let me leave you some counsel here of how to navigate the days ahead. Now, he had a full and complete understanding, but he was relaying this to people that would have to face this without him. And so he's saying, if it gets dark, look to the writing of of the prophets. And he says this in chapter 3. He says, be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the propheticos, these um were the uh, writings of the prophets concerning Jesus, concerning his ministry, uh, concerning his parousia, his coming again. And he says, knowing this first, scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all these things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water, but the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. That is such a mouthful. He's saying, look, the word is preserving this. The word is preserving this. Listen, it's not progressive, friends. The same word that was delivered is preserving all things until it comes to pass. It is not multidimensional in the sense of progressive. There was not a truth for them that is no longer a truth for us. Peter is saying, listen, these kind of perverts are going to come in because they twist. That's what he says here in uh, chapter 3, verse 16. He said there were some hard things, and people come in and twist it as they do the rest of script, uh, rest of scriptures because they're untaught, and unstable, and they twist it as they do other things. But he gives us a little key here, and it's the key of Hosea, one of the prophets. There's a guiding light in the writings, the propheticos of the prophets. He said, beloved, do not forget this one thing. Remember, he's saying if it gets dark, and all these false teachers come in with all these doctrines of end times, he's saying, don't give ear to these fables, even if they're very cunningly devised or finely crafted. He said, let me give you something that you will need in order to navigate these false teachers, false prophets, false apostles. We're not saying there's no prophets or no apostles, but we are saying there is uh, um, quite a few of those that are false. In particular, anybody today that is diminishing the scriptures but saying, listen to the apostle that has present-day truth concerning whatever the end-time doctrine is, that's a red flag, friends. That's an absolute red flag. He said, beloved, listen to this. He said, do not forget this one thing. It's a key. It was in the propheticos, Hosea, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. He's assuring them Jesus, according to the writings of the prophets, will return as they foretold. Now, you may get on here a few days, but he says, remember this. One day, he says, a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Now, you and I are 2,000 years beyond that. We're in the last two days of the six-day work week. And listen, there's all kinds of end-time doctrines that are refuting that. But listen, very basic, simple, childlike understanding, rendering of the Scriptures, unless you confuse it with allegory, Everything we need is right there in the Bible, friends. Hallelujah. And Peter took time to almost almost spend an entire chapter's worth of counsel and wisdom warning us against destructive heresies concerning Jesus' parousia. All right, we're out of time, but I hope you got something out of that. Listen, oh, we love you. Jesus loves you. Stay with the word, friends. Stay with the word. Watch out for these teachers that draw unnecessary attention to themselves. Here's what the Bible says. A man, and particularly one that labors in word and in doctrine, one that labors among you, is worthy of double honor. But that's it. 
Anything over double honor, friend, is idolatry. Anything that gets over double honor. If any man, any woman requires more than double honor, <laughs> oh, hello, somebody, false, false something or other. And, and maybe they, maybe it can be salvaged. Maybe it's just their gross ignorance of the scriptures. But I'm telling you, love of the world, love of the flesh, or lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life, covetousness, uh, little ego, little too much ego, thinking that what they say is equal to the Bible. These are just things that we need to be aware of, friends. Test the spirits. Uh, one, one of the ways you can test uh, the spirits, of course, in First John, but also in James. James chapter, chapter 3. How do you test a ministry or a minister? You, you test the wisdom. Where's it coming from? Notice it says it's first. Go study James 3. It's another way to test. It's another way to test. You find out what the motive is. You find out what the motive is. Oh, friends, we love you. Hallelujah. Well, we're so glad you joined us. This has been the Grace for This City podcast. And until next time, my friends, be blessed. <laughs>